You're listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. All right, if you get a copy of God's Word, um, we've been walking through a series called Putting Down Roots. Uh, we've been walking through this thing for, a little, for the last three weeks. This is our fourth week of this, and this is our last week of it. And we've talked about putting down roots from several different perspectives. The first one, we talked about how we got to put down roots like as a church, and we got to get some structures and things. We talked about Jethro, if you're familiar with that passage in the Old Testament. You know, we need to step up in some ways, and we're, we're making some strides to do that. It's a pretty exciting uh, thing to see. The second week, we talked about how you got to put down roots in Christ. Like it, you, we, can, we can do all the performative stuff in the world. We can have all the structures and systems. We can have the biggest jumbotron ever seen indoors for no reason at all, right? Uh, and, and, and it all be for absolutely nothing if, if those of us who are believers in the room are not deeply rooted in the person of Jesus. And we called those of us who haven't just yet trusted in Christ to lean into him, to ask some of those questions. And I think some of you are doing that. And I've heard a lot of conversations that are happening in coffee shops and different places around town where people are asking those questions. Um, and man, I'm so thankful that you guys that aren't believers yet, you're, you're pressing into the Lord in boldness, uh, asking those questions. Last week, we talked about pressing into community in, inside of a church about how if you're gonna run hard at the gospel, you gotta put deep roots down in a local church uh, to do what the local church is called to do. You're not meant to change the world by yourself. When you look out across the, the landscape of your nation, landscape of your world, and you're gonna fix that, no, you're not. I mean, this is the worst. We we're called to be a body of Christ. We talked about the significance of each part of that body. If you've missed any of those, I would love for you to go back and listen to those on the podcast. It'll help set pace. It'll help set this idea of what we're striving at together, of putting down roots and what that means for you. So if you've you missed some of those, please go back and listen to those. Um, I think it'll be super helpful for you, okay? But this week, we're talking about this. We're talking about putting down roots in our city. That like ultimately, like as, as believers gathered together as a local church, what are we striving at? What are we trying to do here at Oaks? Like if we're, what is our vision? Where are we going? We've got to be a church that's putting down roots in our city. All right. So we, uh, we were out here on the quad yesterday. If any of you came to the tailgate party and got the team here from Rivertree and loved them. And one of the teenagers that's here helping serve this, this weekend came up and I, hey, I just got a quick question. If you, you know, if you got a second, yeah, yeah, what's, what's going on, what you got? And I'm thinking it's, you know, where are the, where are the plates and, you know, whatever, something like that. And they said, hey, so can you just tell me, why, why, is, why is the church called Church of the Oaks? It's kind of a, seems like a random thing to name a church. They didn't say that, I'm saying that. It does kind of seem random to name your church after a tree, right? Uh, and we're out there on the quad, and we're out there in the tent, and I turned around, and um, I pointed to the trees that are all over that quad, one of those big old giant ones that line the quad. I was like, well, that's, that's an oak. That's a 100-year-old oak. They're planted as a centennial for the war. Like it's, it's a, that's a 100-year-old oak. That's a 100-year-old oak. There's some. All those over there, those are all 100-year-old oak trees. And we want to be a church like that. We want to be a church with deep roots and long branches, standing the test of time deeply rooted in this place with long branches going out in every direction, every nation on the continent, like every nation in the world, every tribe, language and tongue. I'm going to be a church deeply rooted in this place so we can have long branches going in every direction. And I told her, look, I'm like, let's look out under all those oak trees. Look at the thousands of people walking beneath those branches. We want to be a church where tens of thousands of people are getting to walk under the branches of what God does as he sends people from this place. That's why we're oaks. Also, trees are cool. I don't know, you'd be like, you know, 
we're gonna be a church like that. We have to be deeply rooted in this city, in this place. This isn't, can't just be this like temporary pass through thing for, for me and you. Like this has to be where we put down roots. I don't care how long it is that you have roots, but we have deep roots in this place. We gotta love this city well. We gotta go hard after this place so we can go hard after every place. So this morning I want us to talk about, think about, let's study scripture about what it looks like for us to put down roots in the city to which you've been sent. All right, so we're gonna be in the book of Jeremiah this morning. Um, and uh, as we, we look at this, we're going to be in Jeremiah. We're going to look through the, uh, verse 1 through probably about verse 7. So you've got a copy of God's Word. love for you to be there. love for you to take down some notes. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm really bad at listening to sermons. I forget everything as soon as whoever's talking stops talking. All right? So uh, if there's some things that show up as some actionable for you, those are things you need to write down. Those are some things you need to like, make some steps for. If you're feeling some like, man, I need to do that, figure out how you're going to do that tomorrow. Don't just feel like you should today. Good? All right. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Right, before we jump in, let me just give a little context. All right. Jeremiah, he's writing just after the fall of Judah, all right, and, and the capture of Jerusalem in 2 Kings 24. So you're going to go read that this week. Cool. 2 Kings 24, uh, Judah falls. Like it's year after year of sin and rebellion of God's people, and like God ultimately gives the people um, over to their enemies as consequence for their continual sin. So Israel had split into two kingdoms. There was Israel and Judah. Second Kings 16 tells you about the, the, when Assyria conquered Israel. You can go read about that. Second Kings 16, that's 722 BC. All right, a little while later, things continue to go poorly. And so Second Kings 24, Babylon conquers Judah, 586 BC, Jerusalem is conquered. And it seems like the people of God, is, it seems like it's ended. It seems like a period, like a stop point. On, what, on, on the people of God. It's the darkest period in, in, in scripture. It's, the, it's the, a picture of, of like us, the people of God being given over to their distance, being given over to their continual sin. It's a warning. And Jeremiah, he shows up and he starts writing to the people who had just experienced this, who had just been captured, just seen the fall of Jerusalem. They've been taking it into captivity. They're away from their home. They're in exile. There seems to be no hope. Seems like it's over. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1, it says this says, These are the words, the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconah and his queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, they had all departed from Jerusalem. Jeremiah is one of the last to go. He's riding from their home to their place of exile. He sends word. So we jump into this. There's a few things I want you to see in this passage that we're going to say. The first one is this. You can't forget the way home. Don't forget the way home. He's riding to people from their homeland, right? Like where the, like the temple was, like where uh, the city of David was. Like, like their home, like, like what to them was glory, you know, home. He's writing from that, and he's, he's talking to people who have been displaced, who are far from home with really no hope of ever getting back. He sees they've been taken to a new city, a place that wasn't their own. Now, uh, we all were singing uh, Sweet Home Alabama yesterday. If it comes on and you live in Tuscaloosa, even if you're like an Auburn fan, I don't care. You have to sing it. Um, and uh, we have the little bonus words and all that stuff, right? So we, we can sing Sweet Home Alabama all the time, right? But like, uh, this isn't our home. 
not our ultimate home. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we, 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 for us, we, as we keep walking through this and we start drawing parallels, we're going to say, like those of us who are Christians, we figure out that we were born in exile. And then the place and the, the people and the culture that we thought was our home is not the culture and the place and the people that we were ultimately intended for. There's an eternal home, an eternal glory that we're actually intended for. That's why things here don't sit right. So it feels dark, it feels hard, it feels like there's this struggle all the time here because this isn't where you're made for. As we come into this passage, we gotta like recognize how we align up with the people that, that Jeremiah is writing to. He's writing to exiles, people far from their intended home. You and I, if you're a Christian in the room, you're far from your intended home. Like the ultimate home, like the place of where there is no more tears, where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there's just being in the presence of the Father and the Savior, like that's, that's your home. There's something about not forgetting that. He's writing to these people who had been sent to a place far from home, and he's going to tell them, and by extension tell us, what to do in exile. But you and I got to remember that we're in exile. If we forget that, if we forget that this isn't our ultimate home, we start living for this place and this time and these people. We take on everything about this place and this culture and forget that we ain't home. You're in exile. This is not the way it was intended to be. That's the way it's intended to be. Don't forget the way home. So as that, with that in mind, that we are living as exiles from the, our eternal dwelling place with the Father, this, the words of Jeremiah take on a different meaning for us, where it starts teaching us, coaching us on how to live as exiles here and now in sweet home Alabama. All right? So he jumps in in verse four, he says this, as thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may, they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. It's a lot of things packed into that. And those those of us who are exiles here from our eternal dwelling place with the Father, like there's a lot in us for we we can take that apart and we can see ways that we can put down roots in our cities even as exiles here. Even this is not our this is not our eternal dwelling place. This is not the life, the, the home that we're living for ultimately. But as long as you are here, what does it look like to put down roots? It looks like this. It looks exactly like Jeremiah 4 through 7. So there's a few things that Jeremiah says in this. The first, he tells you to act like you live here, not like a tourist. All right? So the first thing, like you and I gotta get in our head, like you gotta act like you live here, not like a tourist. All right? Tuscaloosa is a transient town. A lot of us are moving in and out all the time. It doesn't matter if you're a college student or an adult. Just people are in and out of this place all the time. We gotta act like, we're, act like we live here, not like we're tourists. See what he says? He says, build houses. Live in them. You know how long it takes to build a house? Any of the adults in the room ever built a house? That's like most of your life. All right, like it feels like a, an entire lifetime has passed. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat the produce. You plant gardens, like there's like, you know, there's like Alabama tomato gardens that, you know, that, that takes like three months. Okay, that's not a big deal. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about like olive trees that take years to start producing fruit. Like almond trees that take years to start producing fruit. Saying, put down roots, plant the garden, stay there long enough to eat the fruit from the trees. More than that, take wives, 
have sons and daughters. I got a 10-year-old now. It feels like it's been 10 minutes. I had a 10-year-old, all right? You know how old that makes me feel? Now, he's talking about decade stuff here. Take a wife, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Okay, now we're up in like the 20-year range. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons. Now we're in the 30-year range. Multiply, don't decrease. You know, that's, that's not how tourists act, all right? Building houses, planting gardens, having kids, get, kids getting married. You don't do that on 30A, all right? That's not, that's not, we, we don't, that's not how this works. That's you, in tourist stuff, you do tourist stuff. When you put down roots in a place, you do this kind of stuff. When you're temporary, you don't put down roots. When you're temporary, you act like a tourist. When I go on vacation, I am only worried about the people I brought on vacation with me, right? If it's just me and Jessica, great. If it's me and Jessica and the kids, also good, less restful, but still, right? I don't care what the guy's name next to me on the beach is, all right? I don't care. I will tell him that to his face, all right? Like, man, I'm, I just, I'm not here for you, bro. I just don't care. I don't need to go meet the neighbors in the condo. Like, hey, we just moved in next door. Just want to say hi, baked you some cookies, all right? Enjoy the next three days. I don't care, right? I don't care about them. I don't care what they're doing. I'm here to invest in me and mine. Like, that's it. That's all I'm doing out there. All these people are temporary. I don't need to get to know them. I'm going to stick with my own. If we're not careful, we'll do that here. If we're not careful, we'll treat this place and these people like you're a tourist. You're just passing through, and if they're interesting, great. If they provide a little value for you, wonderful. But you're not going to put down roots. And when things get messy, when things get hard, you bail. Because you're not here for that. You're a tourist. This is temporary. If we're not careful, you kind of find yourself as temporary. If you're, not, if you're temporary, you don't paint the walls. Right? If you're temporary, you don't plant trees in the backyard. If you're temporary, you don't fi- fix the leaky faucet. I remember rent- living in rental houses in Tuscaloosa when I was in college. My roommates are like, man, we need to like build a deck and like, no, I don't care. Like, I mean, I don't want to do any of that. I'm a tourist. If you're a tourist, the people around you, you don't invest in relationships. You don't meet your neighbors. You don't learn names. You don't have people over for dinner. You don't ask people deeper questions. You keep it surface. You, you bump into people, but you never ask for their phone number because you have zero intention of ever following up. You have zero intention of asking those deeper questions. You don't join a church. You don't give. You don't serve. You roll through. And if that one doesn't meet your needs, if it doesn't give you what you want, you just roll on to the next one and the next one and the next one. When you're a tourist, you don't invite anybody to church. You don't ask gospel questions because you know you're not going to be invested enough in them, honestly, to ever do any follow-up. That's somebody else's gig. You're a tourist. You don't do that. You're temporary, which makes them temporary to you. See, since they're temporary, they are not worth it. First thing Jeremiah tells the people to do is show up and put down roots in a city to which they've been sent. For me and you, we got to put down roots in the city to which we've been sent. We got to quit acting like we're temporary. The adults among us, the kids among us, the college students among us, the teenagers among us, senior adults among us. Like, we got to quit acting like we're temporary. We got to put down roots. We got to go hard after this place. Like, we got to act like these people are going to be with us the next 20, 30, 40 years. God tells his people, I've sent you. He 
said, I've sent you to a place. They had no idea that they would ever, I didn't know I was going to come back to Tuscaloosa. I've been gone 15 years. I grew up here, but I was like, I had no idea I'd ever be back. I kind of treated it temporary the first time. Got into college, still treated it temporary. Put down roots in the place I've sent you. You know, it's interesting. He didn't call the exiles to just go wait it out. He didn't call the exiles to go like make up a camp and like find some people that, that, that were like them and like make a little, little, you know, godly ghetto over here and like, you know, just hole up together. Wait it out. The exile was going to be 72 years. They like, just wait it out. He didn't tell them to do that. He told them to put down roots. Get your kids married off. Get some grandbabies, you know. Act like you're going to be here forever. God called them, and by extension, he calls us to put down roots in the city to which he sent you. you got to act like the people around you. If you're, not, if you're not a tourist, you get to act like the people around you are going to be your friends in 20 years. You get to act like you and your coworkers are going to retire together. Like you're going to have like, you know, a double retirement party. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, I mean, me and you, man, we made it. We're 67. Let's go sit on the porch together. You know, like the first day you show up at work, act like you're going to retire with them. And some of them you kind of hope you don't. But it's going to be okay, Right? We're still going to act like it. Better or for worse, I'm stuck with you. I'm going to put down roots. Act like everybody in your dorm is a potential wedding party member. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody on your floor, like, I bet half y'all are going to be in my wedding. And invest in them like that. Go hard. I know it's a year. But in your mind, it can't be just a year. There has to be fruit because there's an eternal dwelling place with eternal ramifications for that relationship, for that kid next to you on that floor. Act like the parents of the kids on your sport team are going to be at graduation with you when your kids walk. Can be tourists. Those of you who are part of Oaks and you're, in a, you're thinking about or even have put down roots in our church, act like you're going to be a part of roots, for, uh, roots. Act like you're going to be a part of Oaks forever. Even if you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, you're going to be here another 18 months. Join the team. Carry weight. Serve hard. Like, let's go. Like, join us in the mission. Let's do this together for the 18 months. But act like it's forever. Act like this is your home. Invest deeply in the people around you. Make those relationships significant. Plant those trees. Put down roots. Second thing Jeremiah says is this. He says, you got to seek the greatest good of the city. Seek the greatest good of the city. It says in verse 7, it says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. There's this, this spiritual significance. Is seek the good of the city, but it's not like trying to like, you know, just, we're just going to do economic building stuff or something. It's like pray to the Lord to move in the place where I've put you. Think about how strategic this is. God, in his goodness and grace and power, has taken his people. He's put them in the darkest place on earth. And he's told them to seek the good of that place, pray for these people, like do the work you were supposed to do there, do it here. It's the people of God, right? He's put a bunch of the people of God in Tuscaloosa in a place with some pretty dark areas, some pretty dark pockets. People from all over the world that are coming to this place with a whole bunch of different worldviews. Like you've been brought to one of the most strategic cities I can imagine. If you were born here, if you were brought here, I don't care. Like you've been brought to one of the most strategic cities I can imagine where people from all over our nation and all over the globe are coming here for a moment. And if we can put down roots in this city, be the kind of church that we're intending to be, God can leverage just a few of us like this, like a few believers who will invest in this city, to seek the good of the city, to pray for the Lord on his behalf and change the world. Seems kind of straightforward, you know, to 
think about how to seek the welfare of a city, but practically it can, when you start conceptualizing that, it can be a little challenging. What does that mean to, to seek the greatest good of the city, to seek the welfare of the city to which you've been sent? Because there's, all, there's so many faucets of our city that we could seek to have impact, right? There's financial and physical needs and well-being. There's education systems and local governments and like livability of a place. Like there's the most vulnerable. There's all kind of areas of the city that we could, in, in a lot of cases, should focus on. It's a part of the gospel. It's a fabric of the gospel is seeking justice. That's what we do, right? However, there is a priority level. There is a greatest need and there are all needs. And in a lot of senses, the church gets to be engaged in a lot of different areas of needs, but there is a priority need for me and for you and for them and everywhere else. It's the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest need in my life and in your life and in their life is a relationship with Jesus. There is no hope, there is no peace, there is no future, there is no eternal home apart from him. So yeah, we can be engaged in a lot of different things and a lot of problems we probably should. And as our church continues to go and do the work, and we can be, but we gotta keep the priority, the, the greatest need, the greatest need. What's the greatest need of the people here? And the same thing with Jonah. Like if you think about Jonah being sent to the people of Nineveh. If you're familiar with that story, if you're not, I'd love for you to go read the book of Jonah this afternoon. It's like six little short chapters. You can blast through it in probably about 25 minutes, okay? Go read the book of Jonah. Then you can tell your friends, I read an entire book of the Bible this afternoon, okay? Like, so go read Jonah. Jonah is sent to Nineveh because it's this place that is incredibly far from God. And Jonah is sent to go proclaim, like call them back to the Lord. Like proclaim the goodness of the Lord and his justice of the Lord. And call them to repentance, call them to faith in the Lord. Jonah doesn't want to do it because he's so angry with this people because of their sin that he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to go proclaim goodness. He just wants to see them destroyed, right? So he tries to run. He gets swallowed by a whale, spit out on the beach, and God's like, let's try this again. <laughs> right? And he goes and he does. Calls the people to faith, calls the people to repentance. And people really, really far from the Lord repent. Draw near to him. It's the first time you see a prophet being sent out. A lot of other times in the Old Testament, like the missional strategy was to draw in, draw in, and this is Jonah going out. To go proclaim the goodness of the Lord. That's our call as well. To go to people who are far from the Lord, speak hope, speak power of Jesus, share the love of Christ, and call them to repentance and faith in him. That's the greatest need of your friends. It's the greatest need of your neighbors, the greatest need of your coworkers, it's the greatest need of our city and our nation and our world. We have to be about that work first and foremost. I'm not saying other needs don't matter, I'm saying they don't matter as much as that. Now, Jesus gives us a model of how to combine those two things. Of course, Jesus is the model, right? So Jesus in, in Matthew chapter nine, verse 35 and 36, it says this, this is how Jesus did this. This is how Jesus did this kind of city reaching ministry. It said, Jesus went throughout all them cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. See that? Teaching in the synagogues. You know what he's talking about? He's calling about the kingdom of God, calling people to faith, repentance, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease and every affliction. When he, said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He didn't feel like Jonah towards those crowds who had, were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on the crowds of people who did not know the Lord because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus steps into a city. He proclaims the good news, proclaims the gospel. 
And then he steps into, and there's like physical need there. And you see Jesus like demonstrating the gospel and showing up in like, like tangible, physical ways. Listen, like there's a pattern in there for us. We've got to be people who proclaim the gospel. And we've got to be people who demonstrate the gospel. That's the mandate of our church. That's how we seek the good of the city to which we've been sent. It's just following the model of Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel and we're demonstrating the gospel. We don't get to choose between those two things. We don't get to choose as a church. We don't get to choose as individuals. If you're a Christian in the room, you don't get to choose between proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. This is the way, this is the way we're called to do this. We proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. We don't proclaim the gospel by demonstrating the gospel. That thing about like uh, preach the gospel and use words when you have to or whatever that little phrase is, that's not right, all right? That ain't in the Bible. Some guy made that up. Don't care about it, all right? Like that's not a thing. Jesus shows up in a city. He's teaching the truth. He's calling people to faith in him. Like he's calling people to repentance. We have to be people who proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel. My greatest need, your greatest need is not to have my physical needs met. It's not even to have my emotional needs met. It's not to have my financial needs met. It's to know and follow Jesus. In that and that alone is hope and peace and future. That's what you need. That's what they need. Listen, if you're not a believer in the room yet, you're here this morning, somebody invited you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're just trying to get some answers figured out. Like, I'm not really sure what this is all about. Maybe these people have some answers. Let me just, just cut through all that. If you're not a Christian yet, let me just share with you the, the foundational idea of Christianity. It's that you and I were so far from God because of our sin, because of our rebellion against him, that we found ourselves separated from him. The one that we were made for, like the one that loves us perfectly, the one that can provide everything that we need for this life and the life to come. We found ourselves separated from him. Christians are the people that figured out that their life was so far from the, the standard that God had set that there was no way back. So God, because he's loving and because he's just, set a plan to fix what we had broken and could never fix ourselves. So Jesus left heaven, came to earth, down into the mess with us to live the life that you were intended to live but never could on your own. Then he gave that life as a substitutionary sacrifice for you. He substituted himself in your place. He died on a cross. That was my death that I was supposed to die. That was my punishment for my sin. That was my separation. Jesus willingly gives himself up, gave himself up on the cross for people like me, people like you who did not deserve it, never could earn it. We're never gonna be able to like pay him back for that because he loves you. That's how you know, that's how you see God's love and the person of Jesus on that cross, giving up his life for people like you still living in rebellion. Those of us on this side of the cross, he gave his life for you before you could even ask. It's already been done. Everything that you needed done for you that you could be reconciled to God was already done for you way before you were ever even born. And so Jesus presented himself as this gift. I've made a gift available to you of, of, of freedom, of forgiveness, of hope, and of joy. Packaged it up and like set it before you from the moment that you were born. And if you're not a Christian yet, that gift has been waiting on you to receive your entire life. The Christians in the room are not people who have got their life all prettied up and polished up and they're like the good people, so they're Christian or something. Their only difference between you and them is they've accepted the gift. They got to the point where they heard about the gift, they recognized they needed it, that they needed to be forgiven, they couldn't do it themselves, and they said yes to Jesus and had been forgiven. They're following him instead of themselves now. It's the only difference between you and them.
That gift's been waiting on you your whole life. You can receive that gift this morning. You can ask somebody that invited you about, like, hey, how, did, how does this actually work? Tell me more about this like, gift thing. How, what are you? There's going to be a next step team at the end of our sermon. They're going to be back there in the back. They'd love to talk with you about that and just answer questions for you, just pray for you to, as you're walking through this kind of stuff. I just wanted you to have a moment. I mean, I know every time we gather together, there's you know, a, a good number of us in the room who have not yet trusted in Jesus. You haven't accepted the gift. That's what this is about. And so as Christians, as people who are seeking the good of the city, we do not first and foremost seek any other need of our city above the need of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel, we demonstrate the gospel because of the need of the gospel in every single human being's life here around the world. And inside of that, that enables us to meet needs in ways that are gospel-informed, gospel-centric, driving people like towards hope instead of just meeting a need. You gotta keep the main thing, the main thing. So, next thing that Jeremiah tells us, seek the good of the city. There's a few things I just jotted down, like this is not, these are biblical concepts, but this is just some kind of tips from Britain, all right? So you take that for what it's worth. Like just for free in our preaching, like my preaching, I want you to know the word well. Like I want you to understand a passage better by the time you walk out of that. I don't really care that you know my thoughts, all right? I'm not trying to give you my ideas and my opinions about things. I just want you to know the Bible well. So here's like four biblical principles uh, that, that I'm using to try to walk this out, to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel well in my city, okay? So four things if you want to jot these down. First, you got to establish relationships and not acquaintances, all right? When you're temporary, you, you do acquaintances. When you're permanent, you do relationships. You got to establish relationships, not acquaintances. Some of you are great at saying hello and good morning and hey, how was your weekend? And really bad about having somebody in your home for three hours, all right? Um, a lot of us with little, like little young kids, we're busy, that's hard for us, all right? A lot of you who feel like you've got every second of your life scheduled up, it's hard for you. We've gotta be people who establish relationships, not just acquaintances. Across your city, not just in your existing circle. You're not building a camp, you're putting down roots in a city. All right, that's number one. Number two, you got a neighbor well. You got a neighbor well. All right, and this is another biblical concept, like who's my neighbor, like all those passages inform this. You got a neighbor well. So inside those relationships that you're establishing, you have to love those people well with like the love of Christ. It's as that we'll, like the world will know us by our love for others. Our love for each other, our love for others is how the world's gonna recognize us. So inside those relationships you establish, neighbor well. Meet needs, pray for people, like do the work of loving well. And I will challenge you on this. I'd say like prioritize the relationships where um, you're praying for gospel fruit, all right? So press into those relationships where you're praying for God to move in those people's lives, all right? There's a, there's a lot of relationships you can choose from. So make sure you're investing well in the relationships you're praying for gospel fruit inside of, all right? Number three, you gotta share clearly. So if we're gonna proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel and you're freaked out about the proclaiming the gospel part, that's something we gotta, we gotta handle, all right? We gotta be a church where we're helping people figure out how to share clearly. You gotta engage in dialogue with people who don't know Jesus. If you're a Christian, like there's something in you that like 
there should be this compulsion to, to share the thing that has changed your life, has changed your eternity. And I think a lot of you have that, that, oh, that desire to be able to share clearly and maybe you just don't have the words and you need some help, you need some training, things like that, all right? There's a few things in our church I want you to know exist that we can't talk about every single week. There's some things I want you to know exist so you can know how to plug in and work on this, okay? One, um, we do a gospel conversations training every semester. It's coming up in a few weeks. You're gonna see opportunities to be involved in that, like announcements and stuff starting soon called gospel conversations training. We're gonna teach you how to, a couple of tools to share your faith with people, like do some of those things like three circles, creation of Christ. Like you'll have some tools to get to practice on. So you can have some ways to organize your thoughts. I know before I had those kind of tools, I'd try to start talking about Jesus and I'm just all over the map and like making weird connections and stuff. And wait, I've kind of, hang on, I forgot about this and I gotta go back. And it just wasn't very organized. I knew the gospel, but it just was hard to get out in sequence, all right? Gospel conversations training will help with that. Um, next, we, uh, we have, um, a lot of us are practicing one-to-one Bible reading. There's a little book, it's called One-to-One Bible Reading. Um, you don't need anything to read it. You just need to read the cover where it says one-to-one Bible reading. It's a great strategy where you ask, say some, tell somebody, hey, look, I, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible before. Like, would you want to meet up once a week and just read through one of the Gospels, the story of Jesus? We'll just read a paragraph out loud. And, uh, and like, you just ask questions. Whatever doesn't make sense, what you haven't heard before, I'll just try to help, all right? And so I may not have all the answers, but if you just sit down once a week with me, we can just read through it and uh, see if it's helpful. Uh, there's a lot of us in the room who've come to faith because somebody finally sat down and opened the word with us. Right? Do that. You don't have to organize the thoughts. The gospel writers organize the thoughts. Open up Mark once a week with a friend, read through, let them ask questions. All right? They'll ask you some stuff you don't have answers to. It'll push you too. One to one Bible reading. The next we have a thing called evangelism residency or disciple making residency where um, there's an eight week thing where we can walk some people through a deeper training and uh, experience where you're actually getting to practice this more, um, which comes after the uh, gospel conversations training. If you come to gospel conversations training, you're invited to be a part of the, the disciple making residencies. So there's a deeper thing there. You may not know that it exists. So that's, that's that pathway and how that's supposed to work. There's also plans that we have as a church. So you can text us, you can ask us. We, we cover all these in the evangelism residency, but there's, we have what we call a yellow light plan. So yellow light reading plan is when you meet with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus and you're trying to share the gospel with them, they're at a yellow light. They're like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this Jesus thing, but I don't, I'm not like ready to jump in. It's yellow light, right? So there's some reading plans where we can give you that so you can sit down with somebody, walk through a yellow light reading plan and you know, help some people find some answers. There's a lot of ways that we can do this. If you're sitting there and you're like, man, I, I, I have this thing in me. I'm not sure that I can proclaim the gospel clearly. We're trying to be a church that helps you do that. But you got to press in, ask for help, let us know how we can back you up, and we will. All right? Last one, you got a leverage community. Number four, you got a leverage community. Listen, there's a power in community that is uh, not the same as an individual. Like when, you, when you're trying to individually um, do all and be all for somebody, it just doesn't work. There's a, there, we're supposed to be the body of Christ, as we talked about last week, of pressing in as a body and doing the work of the church together. That's why we do tribes. So tribes are our community groups. There are 10 to 15 people that meet together every week, have a good time together, and have a good spiritual conversation. There's a lot of people in tribes who are not believers yet. 
That's a great place for somebody who's not a believer. The questions are not super deep. It's not intended to be deep. Somebody this past week was like, man, my tribe just wasn't super deep. It's not supposed to be super deep, all right? It's a group of friends getting together and having a good spiritual conversation so that there can be other conversations happening throughout the week that do have that depth to it. It's just supposed to be a good time with some good friends, having a good conversation that's around spiritual things. You leverage that well, you can see entire segments of your city change. If you start spending time together, if you start like engaging deeply in those things, if you start inviting people to be a part of that who don't yet know Jesus or don't, aren't yet a part of a church, you'll see lives changed. There's a ton of us in this room who tribe has like changed the course of our time in Tuscaloosa. It's also why we do huddles because community, like it matters. So huddle is a disciple making process where there's one person leading three people who haven't been through huddle yet, investing in them, helping them start establishing spiritual disciplines. We don't do that in trap. We do that in huddle. We are learning how to study the word. You learn how to memorize scripture. You're learning how to pray and hold people accountable. All that stuff happens in huddle. You jump into those two things and start leveraging those to impact the people around you, you're gonna see some fruit. You go out there by yourself with no strategy, no plan, all on your own, Lone Ranger style, the fruit's not gonna be the same. You need a people to run hard with. So step into community, run hard alongside your people. All right, so we conclude our band's coming to lead us in time of response. A few things, as Christians, I need you to remember, we are, we, are, we are citizens of a different kingdom, all right? As you step out those doors, you are exiles here. This is not your home. Do not live for this place and this place alone, but live like, live like you're permanent, all right? Don't be a tourist. Build some relationships, invest in some people, do the work. Uh, if you're not a Christian yet, listen, I, I, I don't know how you got here, but you stumbled into a good place, all right? Um, <laughs> we, built, we built Oaks and are building Oaks to be a place where people like you can come, find answers, uh, have good conversations, get to engage people around you that like, authentically and truly love Jesus and are trying to follow him. If you'll press into that, if you'll ask some of those questions of the people around you, um, I think you're gonna be really excited about what you find. And so if you came with somebody this morning, my prayer for you is that you'd be, have the boldness to ask that person around you, like, hey, can we, that one-to-one Bible reading thing that guy was talking about, would you be up for doing something like that? Like, ask them, all right? Don't wait on them. They're terrified. Ask them, you know? Like, just have the boldness. If you need some answers, go ask some questions. Our next step team is gonna be back there in the back and they, they would love to pray for you. They'd love to just give a you know, three minute conversation. Like, hey, this is something you're struggling with. Absolutely, can I pray with you? Can I give you a couple of ideas of some people you might wanna connect with? They're there for you. If you're a believer in the room and you're struggling to proclaim the gospel or demonstrate the gospel and you just are feeling some conviction about that, go back there to the next steps and say, hey, listen, would you pray for me about this? I, I'm, I haven't been neighboring well. I've been acting like everybody around me is temporary and that really freaks me out. Would you just pray for me to have boldness in that? Go back there and upstairs. Let them pray for you. There's something so powerful about getting up out of your seat and doing something, all right? A lot of you just need a first step. You have all the heart, you have all the intention in the world, but to get out, all, like, to get out of your seat and go talk to somebody, just have somebody pray with you and come back to your seat. That's the first step in movement. It's the first step in action. You wanna be a church of action, not a church of watchers and listeners and all that was cool. You wanna be a church of action. So this morning, right now, as our band leads in time of response, take that first step of action. If you're not a believer, talk to somebody. If you're a believer and you want to go pray with somebody, do that. If you're a believer and you just want to get there right there in your seat, if you want to kneel right there in front of your chair, take a step of action towards what he's calling you to do, okay? I want to pray for you, and i got to tell you a couple of things before our band leads us. Let's pray. Father, 
I pray that you'd move us to action. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that puts down roots in our city. Not just, not just inside of our church, not just inside of our families or our little groups, but our city. God, help us to seek the good of our city and the greatest of its needs and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us be people who neighbor well, who build relationships, not acquaintances, that we're actually in investing in other people around us. We're putting down roots in their lives and our communities so that we can see gospel fruit. God, I know for a lot of us that we, we, you know, we know that we're, we're temporary here. But we're not temporary in your kingdom. So help us to be the people who do the work of the kingdom here. And I pray for each one of us, whether you're, we're believers in the room or not, I pray that this, in this moment that you, you just compel us to take that first step of action. Whether that's in prayer, whether that's in getting up and talking the next steps, whether it's committing to talk to a friend after this, or whatever that is, God, would you move us to that first step of action to do what you're calling us to do? We love you. It's your son's name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.